In fact, all 13 huts in the village have a small piece of plywood on the wall, scrawled with some snippet of her writing. She even has the orphans composing verse. She says she hopes to publish them all under the title Allie Kyle's Deeply Philosophical Jungle Poetry for Kids. I can't wait. Well, now that I've been exposed as a plagiarizer, you'll understand if I retreat to my former profession in order to make my point. And here is my point. No matter what you do with the stock, there is always someone on the other side of the trade. Buying when you're selling, selling when you're buying. Same goes for traveling. Someone is always going your opposite direction. They're east to your west. They're zig to your zag. So it was with Neil Rucker, the guy who helped me translate my plagiarism during first semester. Spiritually, Neil and I were brothers. Relationally, we were single, though I was the one with a girlfriend, which is a bit strange because strapping brown-eyed Neil was not only better looking than me, he was also friendlier and had been maturing in the faith ever since Algebra 1. My buddy Neil is still all those things, nice-looking, friendly, spiritual, although as his story progresses you'll understand the unpredictable nature of maturing in the faith. I met Neil in language school in Quito, Ecuador. Neil taught. I sat in the back row. I had to go live in that sun-baked, 9,000 feet above sea level capital city from March until June mainly because my mission agency made me learn Spanish. Neil's big mistake began when he befriended one of his students, namely me. Neil mentioned to me that he had an eight-week furlough coming up and that he was looking for a place where he could find some good weather, a part-time job, and quick access to a beach. And since he was single and had not been on a date in forever due to his linguistic service to the mission field, a rich environment of church-going young women would be a nice bonus. He would get his nice bonus. You see, I knew of a few church-going women, and I told brown-eyed Neil where to find them. The rest was up to him. If you asked Neil today, he would tell you his furlough was in 3D. Dates, delirium, and disaster. I provided the dates, the Greenville girls provided the delirium, and Allie, well, she provided the disaster. What I did not know at the time, given that I was 4,000 miles below South Carolina, was what had gotten into those girls since I'd left Greenville. Something to do with biological clocks, perhaps? Act 1. Send him to the island of misfit toys. An unidentified elf. Chapter 1. While the last of my 14 missionary students toiled and sweated over his final examination, I remained seated at my desk, feet propped up, reading a paperback that instructs single people how to live victoriously. Only Jay Jarvis remained in my classroom, the other students had already turned in their papers and left to go celebrate, confident in their newfound ability to communicate with South America. As always, it was hot in our stucco school on the corner. Outside, I could hear street vendors barking the price of oranges and bananas, hustling their fruit between bleached white buildings, their shouts perfectly timed between the impatient blare of car horns. It was not the ideal environment in which to take an exam, but our language school was of the non-profit variety. We were fortunate to have the ceiling fan. Jay kept wiping his brow, rechecking his pages. Nervous, that guy. I glance up every few minutes, silently cheer him on, and continue reading my book. The word purity kept sparking on the page as if it wanted to burn itself into my conscience, refuel and flourish. In sizzling equatorial Quito, I'd been pondering words like purity on a daily basis. Here I'd lived alone for my 28th and 29th years while teaching Spanish to God's servants in waiting, and lately the days themselves had seemed combustible, one flaring into another below the lofty peaks of the Andes. 
On a good day, I would go to great lengths to live a life of purity, to the point of imagining all lustful thoughts burning crisply, like some dried-up Latino newspaper. On a bad day, the searing imagery would duke it out and lose to a scorching, black-hearted nemesis. And even though I knew that all around me, in some hidden ember of circumstance, calling me back, was a raging white fire. Singleness can be a wonderful furnace. But enough flammable illusion. I just wanted the slowpoke to finish his test. Now that my teaching assignment was nearly over and summer furlough was coaxing me toward leisure, I wanted to get out of Quito and get back to the States. Fast. Let there be a beach, I wished. Let there be girls, I prayed. I had not been out on a date in seven months, one week, and a day. Now, whether or not this was my fault was a source of daily deliberation. Perhaps being the language teacher in a school for missionaries doesn't ring of long-term stability. Or maybe I was too straightforward. Or maybe the black-hearted nemesis was messing with my head. Regardless, all that stood between me and furlough was my worst student, still fidgeting there in the back row, still hunched over his desk in a University of Texas t-shirt, still trying his blonde-headed best to finish the exam. Hurry up, Jarvis. I drifted in and out of my book, mostly out, my thoughts waffling between furlough and females. I didn't mind being one of the few unattached people in our school, except for when I'd catch couples holding hands while I was teaching. Those glimpses of bliss would invariably stir up the longing for companionship, reminding me that pillow talk with myself was always so lopsided. Daily I spoke with God about these and other matters, though not in an empty classroom or a lonely church pew or while kneeling beside my bed. No, my theaters were airy, less formal, and very well lit. In a word, rooftops. While my student continued to waffle over page three, I left him to his exam and stepped outside. Our school had an old pull-down fire escape, and its creak was always the same when I reached up and yanked, a high squeak groaning into a deep moan. Hand over hand at lunch hour, I climbed up rusty iron stairs, past both floors into the flat roof of our language building. To the east, a range of green mountains impaled the clouds, shadowing Quito without remorse. Within seconds, it was as if I had an appointment. A band of yellow rays broke through the clouds, splintered in their passage, but still effective in their effort to roast me. I'd been doing this ever since I'd seen a man addressing the Almighty from atop an apartment building in Mexico City. The guy would go out onto the roof three or four times a week and just blather out to God whatever was on his mind. The effect wasn't lost on me. From a rooftop, my words could spew out like steam evacuating a pot. A pot, of course, being inflexible and in need of frequent washings. From a rooftop, I didn't have to keep my voice down. From a rooftop, I was closer. Here, closer smelled like river rocks and raw vegetables. Knowing that I would soon be leaving Quito, I breathed deep its aroma and savored the exhale. Soon I moved to the far corner of the building nearest the mountains and stood on pebbles and tar paper. After five years spanning many roofs, I had yet to fall. Now, as was my habit, I turned my back to the rays and raised my voice toward the highlands. Hey, before I climb down and grade Slowpoke's test, I just want to remind you that it was you who said it was not good for a man to be alone. Did you mean a young man? A middle-aged man? Speak whenever you like. Pillow talk with myself. Is this all there will be? Propelled into thin air, my words echoed off a mountainside and settled upon steep, slanted fields, all heavy with crops. 
From my left, a pigeon swooped down and landed on the edge of the roof. With two cocks of its head, it sized me up before plunging toward the street, leaving behind a single gray feather that teetered at roof's edge until the air currents yanked it down. Birds were fleeting amigos during my rooftop soliloquies. Perhaps that feather, like a handshake with a former flame, was my consolation prize. You know how Latino women in tight tops affect me when I pass them on the street. Do my offenses exhaust you? Come on, surely they'll exhaust you at some point. I took a breath and watched two clouds waltz around a mountain. Even the atmosphere had paired off. So would it ruin your plans to let me meet an interesting woman? I mean, even Jay seems to have found a woman. And does it tick you off to have to listen to my same request over and over? I hope not, because I plan on repeating my request often, at least until you answer. And that was all I said. Only I repeated my petition in Spanish, just in case being bilingual helped. Then I stood in that equatorial sun, listening for the voice that always seemed to tarry, hoping for some hint that I'd been heard. But invariably my thoughts became a thousand immigrants arguing in a hundred languages. And if one of the voices was God, he was lost in the static. So I turned my back to those mountains, peered down at the bustling street, and wondered how I might insert myself into promising circumstances. Although today, as was the case most every day when I stood on the rooftop, I was certain that promising circumstances, like those waltzing clouds, would be slow afoot. My last student was still nose to test when I returned to my desk and began scribbling the names of possible destinations for furlough. A married couple had asked me to hang with them in Quito, but I had eight weeks off and was in the mood to explore. My main problem with leaving Ecuador and going home was that I had no actual home. 